This week on 1001 Album Complaints, we'll travel back to 1974 and listen to an album that topped the charts during a year that was packed with classic record releases. The second solo album from Mr. Slowhan himself promises a new direction from a rock legend looking to expand his sound. Gone are the soaring guitar solos, wah-wah effects, and raw emotional lyrics, replaced by a more stripped-down approach to songbuilding. We'll see if he's lost a step after a three-year hiatus from music or if some space from the rock and roll lifestyle gave him some time to let his skills grow. So lay back, grab a Mai Tai, and get ready as we visit the steady rolling man in mainline Florida with Eric Clapton's 461 Ocean Boulevard, up next on 1001 Album Complaints. All right, welcome, friends. Welcome back to this week's edition of 1001 Album Complaints. Got lifelong friends, musicians, and critics. Phil here. We've also got... Oh, I'm Rob. I am Tom. And I am Adam. Excellent, guys. Cool. So last week... Uh, what did we review last week? Uh, it was Mama LL Cool J's, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mama said okay, knock cool, you yeah. out. Yeah, right. All right. So we're going to be taking Dribble. a blast into the past to 1974, reviewing Eric Clapton's 461 Ocean Boulevard. So let's set the scene, right? It's 19, it's the summer of 1974. You've got Rock the Boat by the Hughes Corporation just blasting out of the airwaves on the radio. You've got this new record from Eric Clapton coming. And this, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, Eric Clapton is a big deal. Let's just take a step back, right? So, I mean, you guys know who Eric Clapton is, right? I've, I've heard it once or twice. I, sure. I've, I've heard so, his, his name pass through my, my playlist. <laughs> sure, sure. So Clapton had been in the Yardbirds. It ties back into Led Zeppelin, who we've talked about in the past. Um, he had been in Cream, massively successful. He had put out a record uh, with Blind Faith, with, uh, God, who is that? Steve Winwood. Great record. Um, and then he goes on a list, a pretty impressive launch of his solo career. He puts out Eric Clapton in 1970, has After Midnight, Blues Power, Let It Rain, well-received, pretty good record. 1970 is a big year for Clapton, though, right? Not only does he put that out in the summer, but in the fall, he puts out Layla with Derek and the Dominoes, which has, you know, such epic, epic hits, such as... Layla, Bell Bottom Blues, Nobody Knows You in Dally, when oh, You're Down Solid, and solid would, group of tunes. I listened to, um, to Bell Bottom Blues just earlier today because I was trying to figure out there was a, a guitar sound in um, on 461 Ocean Boulevard. I was trying to figure out where I knew it from. I re-listened to, uh, to Bell Bottom Blues. Fantastic song. I thought right, you were going to say emoting. it was a palate cleanser after listening to this. <laughs> well, like sure. Eric Clapton is like he sounds raw and like you can feel some anguish on those vocals. And it was, yeah. it was very welcome. <laughs> yeah. He's got that groany moany thing, but it, it really works because he puts energy behind it. Unlike 461 ocean Boulevard. Oh, vocals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get there, right? Because not only in 1970s, he put out Layla. He also puts out with George Harrison, all things much pass, which is probably in my opinion, the best post Beatles, Beatles solo record. 
So, I mean, Clapton is firing on all cylinders. He's got a hit solo record. He's got a hot new band. He, you know, critically acclaimed All Things Must Pass comes out the end of 1970. And then he just starts shooting dope uh, and puts out a long, long string of concert albums uh, and basically achieves almost nothing creatively until 1974's Ocean Boulevard which was released, uh, I actually had a little trouble getting an exact release date on this. It says it was released in May, or excuse me, uh, July 1st, 71. But there's other stuff going back as, as late as May uh, and June. So possible. The folks surrounding this record were so lackadaisical, they couldn't be bothered to actually write down the day. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, going to be the, the album of the summer, apparently, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be, I guess, Clapton's comeback record after, you know, a, a heroin addiction, and it is sleepy. Um, yeah, what did you guys think? I mean, Rob, you know, what was your initial take on 461? Yeah, I'm, I'm coming in hot here. My, my original take <laughs> was this is not rock and roll in a, in a very, very bad way, a very upsetting way to me. And I, it's, it's so on rock from, from the drum sound all the way through the, the song choice and the, uh, everything about the production and the arrangements. Um, it's just too damn chill. I, I couldn't feel, and listen, I've loved plenty of sad bastard music and acoustic records, but I wasn't, it just felt like they phoned it in. That was re- honestly my first thought on it. Yeah. I, um, I, when I first listened to this album, I was like, I cannot find a reason for this album to exist other than Eric Clapton needed money after shooting all of his fucking royalties up his veins. I, I don't understand why this album is a thing. Um, you know, my wife, uh, I was listening to it in the house a whole bunch. And at one point she was just like, I could not imagine ever being in the mood to listen to this album. And I feel like that summed it up for me. That right. summed up the entirety of the album for me. Cause it's not even chill enough to just be a chill album. It's, it's ah, yeah. A real swing and miss and just the, the lack of energy on it was galling honestly i felt like they were just like listen you slap clapton's name on an album and you're gonna make millions of dollars so who fucking cares just just put it out adam what do you what were your take on it yeah so uh, my, my head jumped to a, an, another reference have you ever seen that movie uh, the other guys with will ferrell yeah. Yeah, okay yeah. there's a scene in there where uh they're gonna do like a big like police prank precinct like you know battle of, of of the egos and you know it's my jurisdiction all this stuff but they're at a funeral so they have this ridiculous like screaming match, but it's whispering because they're at a funeral, right? In the back of my mind, the band was in the back corner recording this album because everything sounds like they didn't want to be heard. The vocals are. The- I just, I, I don't know. Like, I wonder if we'll get into who the engineer was or, or, or where all that went south. But yes, my first take was this sounds like it was recorded at a funeral and they didn't want to interrupt the actual <laughs> the service. So, so they, everybody played quiet and talked quiet. So, so there, is, there is something a little interesting there. So it, I, I looked into it a little and it seems like the record was essentially produced by Clapton's previous bass player, Carl Riddell. Now produced, I mean, like it sounds like he paid for it. Um, this has been the bass player, I guess. And he actually has a really cool career. He's done solo work with uh, Dwayne Allman, Derek Dominoes. He was in uh, 
Joe Cocker's band for a while. He plays in The Last Waltz, or he appears in The Last Waltz. He worked with George Harrison. Oh, nice. Buddy guy. So, like, he's he's a guy, right? Like, he's he's a proper... He's not just some homeless guy they brought in and put in front of the <laughs> yeah, board. Yeah, and he exactly. just, like, cranked yeah, the game yeah, exactly. on everything. And <laughs> Clapton didn't meet him on the farm he was living at when they, you know, dug him up out of nowhere, <laughs> <laughs> right, to, to make some money, right? So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't... I don't exactly understand Riddell's relationship, but it seems like it was largely financial. And he was sort of the one who pulled Clapton out of the. Uh... Well, I, I did see this uh, from the Rolling Stones original review. I think he might have played bass, at least on some of the tracks where Rolling Stones review thinks he did, because yeah. the, a quote from the Rolling Stone review that I thought really spoke to me was uh, Dirk Sims is a woefully trite organist and Carl Rattle. Bass lines are skimpy and perfunctory throughout the album. What, what was the keyboard player? What was the, the description? Woefully trite. Wo- woefully trite and perfunctory. Man, this guy's a, it's quite a writer. I, gotta tell you, I had some real issues with the bass on this album, or maybe the lack thereof of bass on this album. It really, for an album that was produced by a bass player, it really lacks any kind of bottom end. And even the songs that have bass lines on them, they're just dog shit they're really not good bass lines it's not like the guitar jumps out in front either like it really is just right for for a clapton album yeah well i think that it might play into clapton's whole listen you know we've we talked about it before like uh you know could we hang out with the guys in uh in one of these bands and like the one thing that i will give it to eric clapton and I will preface this by saying I don't like Eric Clapton's music. Generally speaking, I don't think it's very good. I like Cream. Cream's great, but I don't like Cream because Eric Clapton. I like Cream because Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker. Like Clapton at least seems like he's like, I get a lot of praise for being a good guitar player, and that's bullshit. Like, I shouldn't get that amount of praise. Um, what's the, the next album that he put out was called, like, There's One in Every Room or something like that? One in Every um, Crowd. One in Every Crowd. And it was apparently was supposed to originally be called there's one in every crowd per parentheses best guitar player in the world that's sort of like oh yeah there's a best guitar player in the world in every crowd so at least he's at least he's aware of the fact that he's not that great of a guitar player but like right. i it's still you know maybe not his fault that he has the reputation of being some guitar god but i can't i just can't ever get behind i him. i don't even necessarily think clapton is a quote you know, bad guitar player i you know i think he's quite slick um, you know, and I mean, he's, he's time and in tune, and, you know, that's a low Setting bar. Setting the but... bar high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but... Age would not have qualified there. Yeah, Sloppy yeah. bends, the bad, t- sorry. Uh, but Are in general, I just think alone. guys don't get brought in for studio sessions and to work with, you know, the likes of George Harrison, you know, unless they can really play. That said, I or agree. Or they're fucking like... his girlfriend. I mean, wife, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was his wife. But, yeah. uh... <laughs> so i mean maybe phil will get into this but the most charitable read i kind of heard on this whole production style and band style was that he was purposely trying to get away from big guitar sound like to to just distance himself from um rock guitar god persona Um, i wasn't gonna get into mission accomplished Well, yeah, he definitely that was got the only success on the sound. album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that idea was quite successful. Yeah, there's no other sound there. It was just there, small guitar. There's, there's a, there's a great, there's a like. I'm going to paraphrase this, but there was a Rolling Stone review that called uh, Clapton's guitar work unnotable. 
and uh, oh yeah, yeah, and he talked about motherless motherless children no being way. like oddly upbeat for such a somber song. Uh, but yeah, I think I I think the guitar work is kind of boring, like the rest of the record, right? Largely. So I I did not look into this at all, but like this album flopped, right? Like I cannot imagine a world where this album doesn't flop. I mean, it, it was reviewed pretty well um, at the time. You know, it was you know uh, you know like a basically like a four star. Let's see, let's see what the Billboard. Uh... I feel like there, I I saw there might have been one tune that cracked the top forty, but I I I forget which one it was. It might have been that cover of that hand jive song. I think it was well received just based on the fact that. Yeah, I don't know. It was a different time. I guess this was the days of uh, James Taylor. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like folk rock going on uh, in the moment. So I, I'm under the impression from what I read, I didn't look at charts necessarily, but from what I read that it was one of his most successful albums. Yeah, I'm looking now that you guys are going to find this shocking. This peaked in the U.S. at number oh, the record peaked in the U.S. at number one. Canada at number one, Australia at number two, UK at number three, Norway at four, and so on. It was the 88th biggest record of the year in 1974 in the U.S. and the fifth biggest record in Canada. You hope we can be kidding me. We can at least agree that if his name wasn't Eric Clapton, that like there's no way this would have gone anywhere. Not a chance. Not a chance. No. And even like I'm noticing that the somebody that was also involved in the production, uh, it wasn't just this this you know Carl Rattle who's the bass player. They also brought the old, Cream's old manager who is now managing the Bee Gees back into the fold. So it's like this is this is a product, right? Going from like, Cream to the Bee Gees, that's a that's quite a swing. Yeah. He was also apparently working on JC Superstar. Also, by the way, just a just a uh, contextually, uh, this is also the year that Pretzel Logic came out, and Pretzel Logic only got up to number eight. So Steely Dan were putting out complex, interesting music at the time, and uh, apparently people were like, "Oh yeah, that that's all good and well, but this has Eric Clapton's name on it." And so, Phil, since you since you broached JC Superstar, I have to drop in probably just for Tom that. The duetting woman is Mary Magdalene from the original JC oh. Superstar concept album. And she also went on to be in the movie. Her name's like Yvonne Elman or something. Well, then everything's all right with me. Nice. Touche. <laughs> all right. Well, let's. That's almost got hot pace. <laughs> let's, let's just jump right into this, this, this clunker. Uh, let's, let's start talking songs, right? So, so as we've already, we've already alluded to, to motherless children, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, it's it's oddly upbeat. Actually, let's give this a little listen. Let's give this a quick little listen. Uh, and actually, when we listen, let's listen to the beginning, and then let's also like skip to the end because nobody's gonna listen to this whole song. <laughs> you got it.
Excellent, excellent. So not so excellent, actually. Right. <laughs> There's lots of motherless children around, Phil. Man. That is not a good thing. Nah, man. It, it, it starts off with a really cool, really cool riff, right? Really cool riff. Uh, and, and it's sort of all downhill from there. I take a little issue with that. that that's a really cool. It's just a boxy. It's just a boxy little, you know, hammer on thing. It's not, it's not it, that good. My, my expectations coming into the record were set extremely low. I had some friends of mine that told me it was going to be bad. And so when I first heard the first 30 seconds, I was like, oh, okay. They're, they're being a little harsh here. Right. My, you know, the right, riff's okay. Right. There's a little bit of guitar. This might be okay. It's like an after midnight vibe a little bit, you know? Right. But it never picked up. It never went yeah. anywhere. And it's, and we, you had a minute of an intro there before the lyrics right so i mean it keeps intro. building and then you're come on give me some words and then when the words hit now the interesting thing so i i was looking and phil i don't know if you saw this in your in your research that motherless children was actually a song re- that was recorded in 1927 yeah yeah yeah, I mean, yeah blind willie was it i don't know if it was, it was blind like willie blind i saw willie that it, i saw it was like a traditional song i definitely right. immediately lumped it in with the likes of I know I, you, Ryder, and such. I went and listened to it on on uh, on YouTube, and uh, again, it it sounds like it's recorded in the tin can. But man, it's like knowing this blind guy with a single guitar and a mic in a room. I mean, he's just pouring his heart out, right? And it's these lyrics work in that context of a acu- single guy with an acoustic guitar talking about his mother dying and sister will never live up to what mom can do. You take that and you put it into this poppy. This 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 uh, upbeat poppy rock. Is there a thing. specific just... lyric that that stood out the most <laughs> in the Clapton rendition? I mean, they're all just There's the barely same. any lyrics. It's barely any lyrics. Wait, yeah. I, f- I did find I found a piece of a review of this song specifically that I so wholeheartedly disagree with that I had to read it to you. On the topic of motherless child, Progography <laughs> writes. It leaps out of the speakers with a barely contained energy that feels as though the band has strapped onto a rocket. Nope, 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 nope. But we were talking earlier about um, Bell Bottom Blues, right? The emoting that Eric Clapton does. He's not a particularly great singer, but he emotes really well on that song. And he's singing about, he's like, when the mother is dead, the mother right, is right. dead. You're like, he sounds jovial. What the fuck? Very jovial. Why? Why? Sounds like a theme to DuckTales, but with Mother is Dead at the end. It just doesn't. It just, anyway. They do not sound like they were launched out of a rocket or whatever. Uh, they sound like they... Solid gold. They sound like they stroll into the room with unearned confidence and, <laughs> you know, just melt down from there. Yeah, and again, I've said many times, I, I find it hard to to distance myself from my like general disdain for Eric Clapton. I don't know why I just, I don't like Eric Clapton. And I even look, listen to some of like blind Fates is great. Um, you know, Derek and the dominoes album Layla's great album. Um, cream. Fantastic. I just, I can't separate my dislike from Eric Clapton from my experience of his music. But I also feel like any reviewer that like listens to this album is like, Holy shit, this is fantastic. They also can't separate their love for Eric Clapton from the reality of this album. And uh, yeah, he's very coasting fair. in like a, in a very <laughs> obvious way. I'm not a big fan of it. I would agree mostly with the sentiment, Tom, that I like him in those other bands. Those are, you know, the, like you said, the Blind Faith album is good. The Cream stuff is good. Derek and Dom is pretty good. And I've never liked Eric Clapton's solo record a lot. But I had, after going through this and, and sort of 
disliking it so much, I had to check myself and go like, is all his music like this? And I went and listened to like Slow Hand and a few other records. And no, they actually have rock and roll music on them. Like it's right. worlds apart. I still don't love it, but it's worlds apart from this. What's that? Uh, he did that album that was like um, a bunch of acoustic stuff. And I think it was from, like the from the cradle. That, that like was the like 90s? in the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's good. But I'm saying like that was like he was trying to do. Right. I feel like he was trying to do an Americana vibe on this album, especially with a bunch of traditional songs and very older songs and total swing and miss. <laughs> from the cradle is not a bad album. He had Babyface working with him on some of his songs, though. Yeah. Did you pull out? A, I saw on Wikipedia. I assume it's true that his. I'm listening to this song and I'm like, I'm not sure if it's worse, if it's better or worse, if his mother is actually dead or not. Like, I'm not sure how I'm <laughs> gonna feel about it. But um, I read on Wikipedia that he grew up. His mom was really young when she had him, and he grew up thinking his grandmother was his mom, and that his Whoa. mom was his older sister. That's. So that's she wasn't a, dead, but she was like a weird relationship. She's a liar. That is, <laughs> that's, that's some really <laughs> right, weird psychological a, warfare to launch against the child. That's, right. that's, that's back in the day. It was the shame of the family. Right. She probably went away for like, uh, you know, spent the summer somewhere and came right. back with a, you know, with a new baby. Uh, All right. So, so on that note, let's move on to the next track on the record. <laughs> Great segue. Let's do one of the next track on the record. Uh, Give me strength. I actually, this was actually one of my more preferred songs on the record. Little slow. I kind of like the Dobro playing. Uh, any any other thoughts on Give Me Strength? I mean, again, not the best lyrically. Uh, doesn't really have a story to tell. I thought it did a decent Americana vibe. I felt like Le- Levon Helm could have come in there. Um, in the song, in the beginning of the song, but Clapton's voice just ruined it for me again. It just feels yeah. like he's croaking through it from a hospital bed after a hernia <laughs> operation or something. <laughs> we got to get these tracks down. I just had surgery. Nope, we need it today. We're bringing the rig into the hospital. Give it your all. Well, that's why I was I was a little bit surprised. I assumed, I listened to this album through, and I assumed, I'm like, oh, he's in the depths of a heroin addiction. And that's why he's so he's, he's like right. totally it, sleepy right. and laid back. I thought he was in it like deep down. This is a man reborn who's coming out of his heroin addiction. And this is what he's bringing to the table. It's like, I mean, I don't know how long the hangover lasts from the hardcore heroin binge, but uh, he was not quite on the other side of it as far as this, this music uh, portrays. Agreed. Th- this tune did not impress me. I think um, I think I sent you guys. So I, I do database work during the day. So dorky me took the full lyrics of this song and put it into like the computer to like, just run like a word count on it. There's a total of 22 words that are just repeated any number of ways. And I think like at max, it was six repeats of a word, eight repeats of the word, but the entire song is 22 words. And he just, yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't shock me. Well, I, and I had, this is a song that he wrote, right? This is actually an one of the Clapton. only ones. Right. Yes. <laughs> But he was One probably trying to go for that. He was going for that like traditional vibe, I think, because a lot, you know, a lot of traditionals are very repetitive, and you know, You're right? Yeah, there's one but line, right? Better. The line is better. Like, say what you will about how much his version of "Motherless Children" sucks. Again, like you know, you get in the uh, you get in the studio with Blind Willie Johnson, and he's really belting that out and talking about the pain of it, and like that that would be impactful. That repetition of lines, like you know. I think back to like, where did you sleep last night? You know, the whole, my girl, my girl, 
don't lie mm-hmm. to me, my girl, right, my girl, right. where did you go? That repetition helps, but not in this format. This, you this need is something cool. to drive it. Yeah, the yeah. repetition can work, but you got to be an orator, you know, like like a Martin Luther King orator, or you have to have a great vocal that's emoting, or you got to have a driving beat or something. I remember talking to somebody. Um, it was a it was a typical conversation with somebody who was trying to make one of those like. Um, I'm like super smart, but I'm also woke, but I'm like even smarter than woke people talking about like Martin Luther King cribbing the I have a dream speech like he stole I have a dream from uh, and he did heavily borrow the I have a dream speech but like the point that I was making to him is that like the I have a dream is sort of like the and then you make a statement. And then you go back to the right. and then you make a statement right. and it's really about the statements in between and not necessarily like, you know, the one line, hey, he borrowed that line. I have a dream. It's like kind of who gives a shit? Like listen to the things that he said in between that. That's where the real true creativity comes from. Well said, and, uh, Tom. Profound. This one did not say anything. <laughs> this one did not say anything. I'm excited to get to the next song because I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so what's before, next oh, before sorry, we ahead. move on to this this great cut i would just to like to point out that rob actually made a great production suggestion for give me strength which is to go back in time and have levon helm sing it instead so let's just put that on somebody with some kind of emotion yeah some emotion there's works, no works emotion on this album at so all next, so, so so next comes willie and the hand jive which is also a uh, a cover song, right? It's right, a it's a right. Johnny Otis song. Uh, this was apparently like a mainstay in the Clapton live set around this time, or or previously, right? I guess on the long stretch of live albums Clapton had been tracking, uh, or or trying to cash in on between you know seventy one and seventy four. Uh, let, let's give this one a listen because I'm sure we're gonna I'm sure we're gonna want to talk about this one. Uh, in, in detail. Mama, mama, look at Uncle Joe. He's doing the hand job with some stuff flow. Cool, and we're back. So, so, so listen. Yeah, you guys just just who wants to, who wants to start? Because I know that I, I, ha- I have very strong one. opinions about this song. <laughs> when I first heard this song, the thought that popped into my head, and there's nothing anybody can do to convince me otherwise. I was like, "Oh, Eric Clapton uses the N word casually." That's the first thing that I thought when I heard this song. I was just like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I was just like, Eric Clapton just uses the N-word casually. After hearing this song, that's what I thought. This is some seriously lame white guy Calypso. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Johnny Otis version rips. I had never heard that before. And it's got that like cool Bo Diddley thing. It's got energy, not not only from the singer, but from the band. Definitely way better. And it was released in the the 50s. As a dance song, like exactly. here's the next big dance hit phenomenon. It's called the hand jive. Here's the song to go with it. Let's do a year at the top, and you know it's awesome. But it's not 1954 <laughs> when Clapton did it. It's 20 years later, and yeah, question. But also, 
Johnny Otis, by the way, like um, he's got the the name of Johnny Otis, but he was he was like a Greek immigrant. He was like this, and this is back in the day when like Greeks were considered non-whites, basically. Right. So like he has a little bit more of that kind of like you know that sort of like outsider vibe to it. And just right. that I think that that might be it. It's just the fact that like this song that came from a guy with an outsider vibe was taken by like the consummate insider of Eric Clapton and just shat out this like absolutely milk toast version for money that's i think that's what did it for me i was just like oh you're a casual racist okay <laughs> this was a single right this was yeah. a charting I, single we're we're deep in jimmy buffett territory here. right <laughs> yeah, yeah i i i definitely the crossover listen, has begun i definitely listened to this song and i, I sort of got little feet vibes so like i've never been a big little feet fan but it, it again, it just feels like a really watered down version of something else. Like you're saying, like, what did you just call it, Rob? Like, Jimmy White. Oh, no, yeah, like Guy Calypso. Like Guy Calypso. <laughs> yeah, like it sort of lacks all the sort of like boogie woogie and like southern rock vibes that Platten clearly would be capable of. And he could utilize on a song like that. That's what's so depressing. Is I mean, as we're citing, we've heard Clapton not only play great guitar, but surround himself with great, powerful backing bands, and even sing and emote. And he does diluted or or watered down is such a good description for everything on this record. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was trying to get away from that, but like he like this is a failure and i'm i i gotta tell you phil i am shocked to hear that this was a number one album i am absolutely stunned this this album offers nothing to me it offers nothing yeah it's 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 tough what else was going on in 1974 maybe steely dan was putting out like their third album you know pretzel logic yeah I mean, I literally just Googled top albums of 1974 just to see. And the number one album is 461 Ocean Boulevard. Oh, God. Wow. Horton Sparks by Joni Mitchell. That's a great one. That's a great album. Fulfilling this first finality. Finale, Stevie Wonder, Sheer Heart Attack, Queen, The Land Lies Down on Main, uh, or Lies Down on Broadway by by Genesis, Steely Dan, Pretzel, Diamond Dogs. (laughs) Diamond Dogs. Diamond Dogs came out this year. Come on, man. Queen has two records. Uh, yeah, they have Sheer Heart Attack, and they put out Queen 2, which might have Bohemian Rhapsody on it. No, Sheer Heart Attack is the breakthrough that has Killer Queen on it, and then later it was, yeah, Night at the Opera has Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but I think the one thing that all of those albums that you have mentioned share in common is Goodness. that you can tell that they all have a lot of effort put behind them. And I was, I'm, I'm consistently galled by the lack of effort on this album. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It is pretty rough. Like I said, if this was, if this was like a, you know, Steve Jorgensen album, like nobody would have bought it. It would certainly not be the number one album and it would be getting ripped by the critics. <laughs> now I'm down like a wormhole of what came out in 74. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff that's better than this record, uh, including On the Border by Eagles. <laughs> but, we, but I'll stop. <laughs> but I will stop. All right, what, what's, what's the next song so the where, next, he, the next where he doesn't really ready. sing? The next, the next tune is Get Ready, which does have the sort of duet with the, the female lead. I don't know if anybody wants to talk about Get Ready, followed by I Shot the Sheriff. 
I'm ready to go on to I shot the sheriff, but yeah, I, that's, I don't, so I don't really have strong. Story. I will say one thing about get ready. And it's, it's this issue that I, I think Rob, you've pointed this out um, on two particular songs. One is um, the uh, hall of notes song. You make my dreams. And the other one is the, uh, I think it's that Taylor Swift song, uh, shake it off where they're just like, you know, in the, in the hall of notes song is like, listen to this. And then nothing happens. And then, like in that Taylor Swift song, oh, like, totally! You know, I totally yeah, know what you're talking get about. Get ready yes. for this sick beat, and it's just the same drum beat. Right. And this one, I'm like, I'm ready. Get ready. <laughs> Give me something. And nothing happens in the entire song. It's so one note, and just all, yeah, it's all these know, are yeah. 90 second ideas stretched to five minutes, basically. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That is that's like my favorite part of any song ever is in a Hall and Oates song where nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. like, what am I listening to? He yeah. pulled things out of the mix. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to probably, not even probably, definitely the most popular song on this record. Probably the reason it was popular. I Shot the Sheriff. Everybody's familiar with this song. Everybody's familiar with this version of the song. Let's just run it for a second. Just, just so it just is a breath of gray air. <laughs> They say they want to bring me in guilty For the killing of a deputy For the life of a deputy But I say I shot the sheriff But I swear it was in All right, cool, cool. And we're back. So... What I did find, uh, digging into this, I did find, I thought this was pretty interesting, is that this wasn't actually yet a, a really big record. Uh, Clapton was exposed to this record, Berman, uh, while he was recording this record. And this is something that was sort of like recorded as a gag. Um, in the studio, the producer had to push him even to release the tune um, just because, you know, Clapton thought it was ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you know, he sounded silly essentially compared right. to the original he was right <laughs> yes. yeah you can tell again no effort put into a new arrangement right it's an unnecessary cover but the most charitable read i heard which i think phil was alluding to is that this helped this played a role in bringing bob marley to the western masses mm -hmm. pretty early in bob marley's career oh wow okay yes it's the only reason that this song does not qualify as a hate crime, in my opinion. <laughs> Everything else is terrible. And like to bring the bass play player's perspective to it, like I shot the sheriff. I don't think that even that's like not even close to the best Bob Marley or Whaler song, no. but like it's got a driving bass line that boom 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 and then that do 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 and the like the bass player must have heard the song for the first time like 45 minutes before he recorded this version of it because all he's doing is just kind of doing a little bit of it's like quarter notes you know <laughs> doop 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 on the roots it's nothing yeah it's interesting because it definitely is part of sort of bob marley being introduced to you know mainstream white people right in the west um but in a different way like this isn't reggae at all uh, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. does, it's not mixed like reggae. Uh, it doesn't sound like reggae. The drums don't sound like reggae at all. It sort of was like, you know, just like everything else. It's sort of missing the guts. Uh, yeah. Burnin would have been Marley for all intents and purposes, the second Bob Marley record that really would have been available in, you know, the UK, uh, and the U S after 
Catch a Fire, which was released the previous year in 1973. Um, yeah, so... So uh, one thing, I, I was thinking about this as I was listening to both versions of the song. And this is a total Delaware digression here. Um, so, you know, Bob oh, Marley it on. moved to Wilmington at a point. That's why there's a big reggae festival in Wilmington, Delaware. Right. He worked at that GM plant um, right off Boxwood Road, right by where we all grew up. And I was thinking about that and I was realizing like my dad's dad worked at that, that plant on Boxwood Road at that GM plant at the exact same time that Bob Marley would have been working there. And so I'm like, oh, I, I wonder if my, my grandfather had any interactions with Bob Marley during that time. And I will preface this by saying that if they did, I'm sure they were extraordinarily unpleasant. He was like a racist alcoholic Irishman. So <laughs> they probably weren't friends, but like, I was just like, ah, oh, you know, maybe they like ran into each other in the hallway or something. Need to like take that. a 15 minute spliff break. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and my grandfather would be talking shit on him as he's like taking belts out of his hip flask at the time. That's anyway, that was a total digression on that. Go that, that, like, that kept yeah. running through my head of like, oh, yeah, he worked right at that plant, right when my grandfather was working there. That's wild. I, I got to wow. say, to the song's credit, it did feel like a little, yeah, like you said, a breath of slightly different flavored air. There was a little mm -hmm. more energy in it. But on while I was going back through and listening to the Whalers version, I, I stumbled upon something I had never personally heard before, and I just want to recommend to everybody – what a good example of a band taking a cover and arranging it and making their own sounds like is on that first Bob Marley and the Whalers record. They do what's new pussycat. It's pretty fun. Oh yeah. Really? Yes. All right. I'm, I'm All putting right, it on the I'll list. I'll definitely All check right. that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not on my radar. Although I've heard that record many times. All right. So now we get to do something really exciting. We get to turn this record over. I'm happy to say I don't own this record. So I, I don't. You didn't rush out and buy the actual. I didn't. No, I didn't the go buy it. Series so, yeah. A. Yeah. <laughs> get Fresh on eBay. Get the first. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Paid a thousand dollars for this. No, Heroin shit covered finally. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we moved through a couple more clunkers, right? Um, the next track is. Uh, Oh, yeah, Can't Hold Out, followed by Please Be With Me. Please Be With Me is a pretty nice tune. I, I, I believe Rob, Tom, you guys particularly Wait, like Hold on. One. Can we go to I Can't Hold Out just for one second? Because like, really? this is my personal vote for the worst song on the record. <laughs> and I really, there's two reasons. I mean, it has all the same problems that all the other songs uh, have. But the weird groan that Clapton does before the solo, can we, can we listen to that? I, I want to, <laughs> I don't know what is going on on this vocal mic. Yeah, yeah, let's, 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 let's just take it quick. Up. Let's take it quick. Listen. I get a real good feeling talking to you on the phone. Oh, yeah. So that whole, like, calling out the solo, that only works if you're, like, ripping it, right? Or, like, if you're Steven Tyler, oh, guitar, right? And then you come in, right? Okay, that works there in order to announce the arrival of an amazing solo. And he just... Yeah. I mean, like maybe, maybe, but here's a hypothesis, right? Here's a hypothesis. Uh, maybe all the guys in the band uh, 
were amateurs. And so it felt great for them to be playing with Eric Clapton, you know, and Clapton hasn't played in like two years. So it feels good to play, right? I'm thrilled. But all I could muster was that. Cla- yeah, Clapton just sounds so drained of, of everything. This is, I, yeah. one of the things I wrote down on my notes is that this is what too many blowjobs sounds like. <laughs> Honestly, it's like a, it's like a slow walk down like a suburban street where there's like nothing interesting going on. You're just kind of like, oh, yeah. Ambling along another line, okay. Nothing interesting. But all. but I mean the drummer digs it because I mean at four minutes and twelve seconds he gives a a, a raucous hey yeah. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, we don't know I guess if it was the drummer who it was, but I I seriously I re-listened to that so many times I got a little obsessed with it and I was like, is this cut in? Like were they listening to the same thing I was listening to? Like what is going on? I see no indication from any of the instrumental tracks of why they would say that. We made yeah, it like, to a song after like yeah. a after like a such a calm slow song like that to be like hell yeah <laughs> like, come on <laughs> Maybe he's trying to shake Clapton out of his stupor you know yeah wake up. Well, Rob, I thought your your comment uh, that you made over text when listening to this album that like all, all the vocals sound like they were delivered from a hammock. Like that's exactly, it's so true. Like I could just see him. It's like he's laying supine somewhere with a mic just dangling over him. He's going, uh, Eric, uh, don't get up. We'll come to you. And they just yeah. dangled the mic in front of his fit. We hit this daiquiri between lines. <laughs> Oh man! You know, would be a great song title, Margaritaville. <laughs> oh man! All right, so so the next track. I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree at all. Uh, the next track, though, please be with me. Please be with me. Is one where that sort of relaxed vibe works, right? It has a bit of that James Taylor, Crosby, Stills and Nash sort of background harmony. It's got some of that finger style guitar that you know is more effective on other Clapton records, but. You still see, you can still see a, a song here. Best track of the record for me. Yes, it, it worked. They they finally locked into the right kind of smooth and chill and acoustic, like you said. The it's basically a lullaby. The mm-hmm. the sort of duetting or the harmonies with the Yvette Elman from JC Superstar were really great. One of the things I um, just found out today when I was just poking around still about the record was that this was originally recorded by a man called Cowboy and has the distinction of being Dwayne Allman's last recording Whoa! before he died. That's, wow. that's cool. Not this version now, the Cowboy <laughs> version, which cowboy. I'm going to blow your mind, guys. It's not any different in terms of arrangement. It's exactly the same. <laughs> I, I will say on this particular track, it's like the level of emoting that Eric Clapton brings to this track, it's the one time that it works. Every other time, I feel like he's just not giving enough on the track, but it's the perfect level of emoting for this for this particular track. And, you know, if I were to be introduced to this album with this song and then follow it up with Let It Grow, I'd be like, okay, it's, you know, I could I get down on this album. That's Everything an interesting, leading up to it was, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I was thinking about that, too, with... Um 
the, the last track, right, which, which is my number one. But I, I was wondering if you simply rearranged and you had a couple, you take the, two, the two hits or the, the couple of hits and make those the peaks and you get soft with it. I understand we'd still got some emoting and, and some, some vocal issues. We, right? we had but some dead weight. Would have been better. Yeah. What would it have been a little more compelling? And I, I think the answer is yes. We should, we should listen to a little bit of this one, right? Yeah. Let's, let's give it a spin. pretty nice song uh i actually like that uh anecdote about it being the last song dwayne allman recorded so that actually you know i, I that, that song grows on me even more uh but i, I think somebody brought up a, an interesting point about the song order right like can we just can we just reorder this record and make something a little more compelling uh what did the singles look like uh, from a release standpoint so yeah you've got i shot the sheriff uh, which was released in jo- July of 74. So basically with the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, shockingly, Willie and the Hand Jive, October 74, mm-hmm. uh, which is a... I, I also, by the way, I am sure that I'm not the only one. I made this comment to my wife and she told me that I was crazy, but like... You guys also just hear hand job every time you hear <laughs> every that, time. Right? Oh yeah, I can't hand hear hand job, Gu- hand job, Gu- guaranteed, guaranteed. Yes. Hand job. <laughs> it's more like that. Yeah, I I didn't sound defeated enough. <laughs> so I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, give me strength, get ready. I shot the sheriff. Please be with me. Let it grow. That's five songs. That's a that's a that's a side of a record. Yeah, I mean, side two is going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> side one is pretty good at that point. I, I think the point point about ordering is would would certainly help it, right? Because it's one of these things we we talked about on the first track. It kind of does come out of the gate like it's going to be a little more rock and roll, mm-hmm. but then it just never, you know, it sort of plateaus pretty quickly, and then. You know, it feels like a little bit of a false advertising, right? So if you were to start with something that was epitomized the whole record a little better like this or let it grow, you know, maybe you'd be off to a more rolling start and then you could peak to something. Mm. You know what? In that case, you might open with get ready and then do something else that feels like you're going somewhere, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Well done. Yeah, well, I, we're still going to need a side too. I think that it it just it plays into the central problem with this album, which is just minimal effort. And like I, you could have worked harder on the ordering of the song and made a better album. You could have worked harder on the production of the songs and made it better. Like you could have made Eric Clapton sing a little bit more heartily um, and made it better. You could have come up with a better fucking title. Like, I mean, they're just like, 
uh, what do you want to call this album? I don't know, man. Where did we record that? Four Sixty One Ocean Boulevard. Yeah, that, that works. Okay. Let's make it the actual address so people will come to the address, and then they have to change the address because people are bothered by it. Yeah, I did read that the Oops. that basically as soon as they were done recording uh, this album there, the Bee Gees then went in and recorded an album there after that. Oh, I missed that. Do you know which happen to know which Bee Gees album that was? You're gonna have to give me a moment on this one, and I will be able to the find sleepiest that. one. <laughs> turns out there's radon leaking in the basement yeah, right. so everybody who goes in there is like half dead they had to go yeah. in and a lot of sage before they got started <laughs> give me a second there's got to be a bg's album that came out in uh um in 1975 would be my guess well we'll, get, we'll give tom a little time we could probably move yeah, on to let it so, grow right yeah, so moving on to let it grow I, when i saw this track list i mean obviously i shot the sheriff aside let it grow was sort of the only other song that jumped out uh i will have to admit i probably thought it was let it rain at first which it turns How out how disappointed like, were you when you're like oh it's not let it rain uh it, yeah it's it's definitely like let it grow. <laughs> Let it grow is like let it rain, like shabby, shabby sidekick, right? Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, it this suffers the same thing though. I mean, the that vocal styling that Rob you just imitated. I mean, everything's really up close to the mic, and you know, like it can't. Like it sounds like somebody wired his jaw shut, and they cranked the gain on the microphone up to one hundred. And then he whispers through his teeth. Like that's, right. that's what I'm picturing him in the studio, you know, in the glass booth. And yeah, a lot, a lot of whining. Well, th- this is, kind of, I mean, this is a cohesive song, at least I will say. And so I can, I can deal with this. I can, I can listen to this. It's kind of, it reminded me, Phil, you said Crosby, Stills and Nash. It's kind of like our house meets stairway. Oh yes. I totally yeah, was thinking sure, our sure, house sure. as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, I just, I got to get it on the record that this address and this whole record was made in Florida, which I feel like is just trouble right off the bat. Like yeah. <laughs> great creativity is not coming out of Florida guys. <laughs> Unless it's creative ways to ingest crystal meth. <laughs> guys, guys, we have listeners in Florida. <laughs> oh, tons. I know. Florida man releases album is what the headline would be. Exactly. So what song I'm really trying to think of um, I'm trying to think of what song that guitar it's coming out of I think the verse uh, the chorus of let it grow that that reminds me so much of a guitar in another song and it's I stairway. try to find it, it I listen to stairway to and I don't oh you know what? it also sounds a little like dream on dream on that's the one yes sounds like dream on yeah well okay. done. I, I'm not going to look up when that record came out because we're going to find that it came out in like October no, I, of 73. And... <laughs> no, I'm sure Dream On was out before this because I remember seeing the second Aerosmith album on the 74 album release list. So, mm. and At least in 1973, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. I just took some other popular songs. 
mixed them with one of my old songs. That was an, <laughs> I will give Eric Clapton a pass on this one. Maybe he was just in like some heroin fog, just like half asleep on the on the you know the Barca lounger with the the needle still in his arm, and you know Dream On came on the radio, and he thought he was having some out of body <laughs> musical experience. Right. He's like, he I got woke a up and idea. thought that he had dreamed that. I was like, I got yes. this song. Well, remember how Paul McCartney always said he he dreamed the yesterday melody, and then what it was so it was so good that he thought it was uh, a ripoff. Eric Clapton did not go through that process. Definitely, <laughs> no. No. something tells me Eric Clapton has no problem ripping off other musicians. He's no he's no Jimmy Page, but <laughs> <laughs> by the way, he's in that hammock. He's got the uh, Jenna Maroney unwind Jalax shirt on. He's <laughs> very chill. <laughs> That's pretty great. Oh man. All right. So let's 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 come down the home stretch here, guys. Let's wrap it up. Right. So these next two songs, I, I mean, we'll talk about them individually. I think we can also sort of touch these uh together. By the way, just just to rewind for a second. You have more on that ground. Pretty I'm pretty sure that the Bee Gees when they recorded at 461, that was like right around the time that they were doing their sort of like disco change and like jive talking i think mm. might have been recorded there um so i can't find anything for sure i know i'm trying to find out where i found that but i know that the bgs went and recorded there after that because apparently they had to change the address of the house that it was recorded in and then they later demolished the house but i got a theory they built another house with put and put the 461 on it because they're like it, nobody gives a shit about this album anymore the, the bg showed up and had to give uh clapton cpr for his <laughs> heroin overdose and that's how they got the idea for the disco beat <laughs> i think that is yeah <laughs> that's good that's good that's good oh god uh man i had something interesting to say moments ago but it's gone Probably wasn't that interesting. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Steady Rolling Man and Mainline Florida. So these two tracks, like in my opinion, this is what filler sounds like. This is what proper filler sounds like, right? Like Steady Rolling Man, a sort of a, a Robert Johnson classic, so to speak. Uh, definitely a part of Clapton's live routine for years. Mainline Florida, I'm going to guess this is one he picked up just chilling down there in margaritaville right so uh okay so by the way he was he was just shooting heroin for a long time and which is also called mainlining when you shoot it into your arm right he's like mainline florida are we sure that he was out of his heroin face that that makes me like it that makes me like it better because i wanted to hear some pathos in the songwriting about heroin at least but maybe this maybe this is a little bit about that makes me think he wasn't actually off of it and he's just like oh no no i'm totally clean the reason I had to sing from a hammock is that I have a sciatic <laughs> problem. Sciatic <laughs> problem. Oh man, uh, oh man. So actually, the guy who wrote Mainline, or, uh, yeah, who wrote Mainline Florida, uh, is also a producer who worked with all the bands we're talking about: Bee Gees, Stephen Stills, Kenny Rogers, who I think obviously fits Ooh, into this, uh, oddly fits into this cohort. Uh, as as well as some others, Abba, who I think overlaps with Bee Gees in an odd way. You know, the Bee Gees do the super quiet singing, super loud microphone thing too. Right? Falsetto though, so it feels right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, okay. So, so it's do you got do yourselves a favor, like 
there is a version of the Bee Gees. It's just the three of them. Um, and they're singing How Deep Is Your Love. With an acoustic guitar um, on some talk show? No? Yes. Yes. And I, it is yeah. like, it is amazing. They sound yeah. so goddamn good. <laughs> I, I cannot even comprehend. And because like he's holding an acoustic guitar, I think it's like Barry Gibb is holding an acoustic guitar, but he might just give a reference note at the beginning and then they just do an they acapella from that yep. on out. They absolutely kill it. Everybody should listen to that. It's astoundingly good. Should we listen so, to that right now? <laughs> <laughs> just to, another level. I'm just pointing out it's Alex like Lenser. another level of like. I mean, effort and proficiency right. to be but wouldn't like, we like to give the listeners just like something <laughs> something good during this hour <laughs> Here, you know, Adam, we'll, I, we'll make I'm that choice in this post. link <laughs> we'll make that choice in post how deep is your love i really mean to learn because we're living in a world of fools breaking us down when they all should let us be, we belong to you. All right. So I'm going to skip over Steady Rolling Man. In my opinion, this this could have been on From the Cradle. This is sort of just classic. Like I said, this is B-roll, right? Nothing wrong with B-roll. A lot of B-roll on a lot of good records. Uh, and to that end, maybe one of the better songs on the record, right? My notes right. say almost rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, almost rock and roll. yeah, when the rest of the Getting record there. is C-roll, the B-roll is pretty good. Yeah, but then we get to Mainline Florida, which in, in an interesting way, I do think bookends the record like sort of well with Motherless Children. They sort of start off with like a rock and roll guitar riff that is a little more promising than many of the other songs and the way they kick off. Uh, Rob, Adam, what do you, I mean, you guys got anything on mainline Florida? Um, I'm going to kick this one to Adam. I don't have a strong opinion. I thought it didn't really get going. Yeah. I, I, so this was actually my, uh, my favorite song on the album. So I, I think from a, it was the most rock musically. It was the most interesting. There were a couple, you know, some chord changes, some hits that at least I was interested in hearing. Um, Can we play it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let's roll. Clip. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're back. So again, there's some things in this song that I think are kind of hip. Like you know, you start to see the promise of something. I, again, I definitely see the thread here to like Little Feet, maybe some other things that are happening at the time. Um, you know, Adam, I think you've actually sold me on this song a little. I mean, it does have that cool sort of slide reverse guitar thing right in the middle. Is that right, Wawa right. talk box at the end? Something so th different. This was interesting because I, I had a note here that it was slide with the talk box, which wow. I don't know that I've heard that before, which I, I don't want to. I'm, I've heard plenty of talk box, plenty of slide, but I don't know. And, and you guys can probably point yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Really I don't know. I tune, but I've been searching and I, I, I'm not sure. So I, that was a that was a cool aspect that I, I appreciated. Mm -hmm. And that was Clapton playing the dobro too. 
So uh, apparently he he caught some shit for that from uh, reviewers being like, oh, it's kind of a cop out that he was like playing the dobro. But I think that that's one of the things that works the best on this album overall is that like if you're going for an Americana vibe and you got a nice slide on a dobro, it sounds pretty good. Throw in a talk box. If you're trying to be a little 70s about it. I get it. It's forgivable. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's it was better 70s. than I remembered. The, the, the hook sounds pretty good. And uh, that little thing that happens <laughs> after the hook is pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that song it, it 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 ends, I think, on a on a more up note, and I, I do think it bookends the the record well, even though the first song is a total dud. Um, you know, it's funny, Rob. You you mentioned it's better than you remembered. Like the last <laughs> time you listened to this album was like two days ago at the most, and I feel like that sums up my opinion on this entire album. It just slid right off of me, and I was like, "Okay, I I could never hear this again, and I wouldn't even notice that I've never heard it again." <laughs> it's so needless. The definition of inessential. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I, I was thinking back to my, you know, the my my most memorable Eric Clapton related moments in my life. Uh, neither of which include Eric Clapton singing or playing guitar. One is watching Goodfellas in the Layla piano part the first time. And the other one is watching Fish play After Midnight um, on New Year's Eve 1999 and getting very excited about Midnight. Uh, the last song before the Midnight set on exactly. uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to turn to 2000. And I realized Eric Clapton is not really a figure in there. No, no. he's not. He's not even. No. I would, like, I would just like to point out, because I very, very rarely have an opportunity to point this out. Uh, it's not that it's like great brag or anything like that. But you guys remember when we went to go see that show, we all talked about what was the first song that they were going to play in that that set where they played from midnight to sunrise. What was the mm-hmm. first one they were going to play and the last song that they were going to play? And uh, I had predicted that the song that they were going to play in the last set, right before they played, um, uh, right before the, they ended and, and came back for that midnight set, was going to be Prince's 1999. Instead, they played after midnight and then immediately. They played Prince's 1999 over the sound system, like the sound guy selected that song. And I predicted that they were going to play Here Comes the Sun as the uh, the last song of the set when the sun came up. And instead, they did that sort of like weird velvet sea meat stick thing. And then the sound guy immediately played Here Comes the Sun yep. when the sun came up. And I was well, like, oh, I, you know what? I don't I could not make it in the band, but I could make it to be their sound guy. Right. Sync that. I- I recently clicked on something uh, with the times fish has played 1999 uh, or maybe I clicked on this like two years ago and just remember, but they played uh, 1999 as the first song after the ball drop new year's 97. So 97 into 98. So that's like, that's a fun yeah. moment. It's confusing. Yeah. I didn't know weird that. Choice. Yeah. Uh, but you see why it's not a weird choice. Here's my Clapton tie in. All right. <laughs> So, um, your your face won't be on the audio later. So. Yeah, but people will feel it. Phil. people will feel it. I rolled my eyes hard enough that they'll feel it. My Clapton tie-in here is that three of the people on this podcast played "Sunshine of Your Love" Ooh. as potentially the first song we ever played in public as sixteen-year-olds at a talent oh, yeah. show at our high school back in I, Delaware. I crushed no, that. That shit. is not true. No, what was it? We played that show at St. Matthews. Where we oh. played <clears throat> that whole set, where I was the singer and you were the bass player, yes. and then we very wisely made the choice where you were the singer and I was the bass player. Somewhere in that era, though, we did play "Sunshine of Your Love" because a bunch of sixteen-year-olds thinking that that's what 
what no, kids want to hear. That was legit. I mean, I was in the audience for that. That happened. And I wasn't that close. Either I didn't know you guys or I wasn't that close to you, but that made me know that I should pursue friendship with you seriously. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, these are my guys. All right, so I'm not going to give this Clapton album a pass on that, but that's just a little a little flavor. Right? A little, I'm, a I'm glad we corner. came around to that. That was just because you were in a dad band in high school doesn't mean that you give Clapton the pass. No Clapton singing. <laughs> yeah. No Clapton. That's a Cream song. It's not a Clapton song. And he's definitely not on the mic. Well done. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's go around the horn. Yes or no. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this one of the 1,001 albums you have to hear before you die? So I'll go first. You know, we never really talked about what this question means. Are truly horrific, terrible albums actually worth listening to? (laughs) Speaking of Around the Horn. If so, this is definitely on the list. Maybe we should make a separate list. That is albums you must hear because they're such fucking disasters you want to hate listen to them <laughs> hate listen to this because you need to know what not to do so in that right. sense i am glad i listened to it in that sense in that sense alone but if i assume the spirit of the question is is it uh worth listening to for its musical quality no there's even amongst clapton and i'm not a clapton fan there's so many better records to listen to slow hand blind faith Derek and the dominoes cream they've all aged better than this this is toothless uh, at best uh, flaccid is a word I kept writing in my notes. That's all this is. Uh, so no, it's a no for me. After years in the junk, it's pretty hard to get it up, Rob. <laughs> listen, this is not even an album I have to listen to before I take a shit. This is a terrible album. I would, I will never listen to this album again. This will never cross my playlist. Not a single song on here. Even the songs I'm like, oh, that was the best song in the album could totally do without it million better versions of it and i was i was disgusted by it to be frank it felt like a cash grab it felt like eric clapton needed money and he threw his name on an album where he gave the minimal amount of effort and he knew he could make money and the fact that it was a commercial success i think is just it says a lot about the uh the way that most people are just take a shorthand approach to music appreciation which is like, oh, Eric Clapton, I guess I'll listen to that. That's cool. Or like, oh, I heard that song on the radio. Uh, that's cool. Or I've heard this name before. I guess that's cool. Total garbage. Beginning to end, I hated it. All right. So is, so. That, is that a yes or a no? Thumbs <laughs> You're up, right. thumbs you didn't down. actually answer the question. <laughs> I, I believe I said I didn't even have to listen to it before I took a shit. Yeah. I could be more clear. No, that's a no. That's a no vote for me. <laughs> All right. So uh, my caveat to this album is that Mainline Florida is a song that I would not hit next on if it came up for maybe the first like 10 or 12 times. And then, then, then it'll get to the sweet home Alabama point where I'm just throwing it by. Anyway, uh, I will echo Rob's point um, that it's a great hate. Listen, if you want to learn what not to do with, with producing an album, the silver lining is that I feel a lot better about my own musical talent ability and songwriting ability because I listened to this and I wrote, he recorded that and somebody agreed to put it like onto an album oh, well I'm, I'm i'm doing okay then anyway so uh it's a hard no for me by the way adam i'm just gonna guess that if you were to actually buy the physical vinyl of this it's one of those ones where they have like the fold out and it's like you pay more for that and there's probably some another stupid image of just the house 
in the fold out or like a close-up of an ashtray or something or his like boot that. or something right yeah. <laughs> his boot yes boot phil so, take it away yeah i mean if i i've never seen eric clapton live but you know certainly i've i've pursued seeing a lot of you know the greats even if even if they're not my favorite, right? Because, you know, I, I think if, you, if you've been in the business for 50 years, you're probably doing something right. There is not a single song on this record that if I saw Eric Clapton, I wouldn't think, Ugh, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or uh, quite frankly, that I would even recognize. Um, this is a hard no for me. Uh, honestly, I think our podcast probably saved me a dollar. Like now, if I'm at a yard sale, and I see this just in a pile of records that somebody's selling for a dollar, I'll know not to pay a dollar for this, right? This is not good. Um, yeah, so I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an O for four on Eric Clapton's second solo release. Yeah, so you make, you make a really good point. If I was seeing Eric Clapton live, any song on this album is the oh now's the time to go get a beer. Yeah, it's a beer break. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like oh yeah, I got I this this shit. Yeah. Even I shot the sheriff. That's a beer break. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tom, what do we got coming up next week? I think you've got the uh, album. Uh, it's the Albinator five thousand. Yeah, I got it out in the hallway. Give me a second. I'm gonna wheel that bad boy in. I think it changed names. I, I like that. It's got a. Well, I think it was the Albinator, the and then it went by the Albatron, and then it's the Albinator again. Listen, you cannot. It was in beta. Judge a person by what they identify by. Okay. You're right. Very sorry. I've been oiling it all day. I've been, you know, I've been working the crank. We're gonna let it go, and next week, drum roll, please. We have Solomon Burks, Rock and Soul. Very excited about that album. Oh, all right. Breath, breath of fresh air. I, I don't I know what that this is. Album. I have this on vinyl. I don't know. Uh, I actually so. haven't, haven't heard this. Does it have the... Well, I'll, I'll find out. <laughs> What's it called again? Solomon Burks. Rock and Soul. Solomon Soul. Rock and Soul. Rock and apostrophe mm -hmm. soul. All right, cool. Well, yeah. I'll dig into that. I am completely unfamiliar with this record, um, which... After the last record, I mean, it was refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're, you're probably unfamiliar with the artists generally, too. Yeah. I will say this. If you uh, Google the name of Solomon Burke, um, uh, one of the things that comes up is, how heavy was Solomon Burke when he died? <laughs> it just gives you an idea of what we're in for for this album. All right. It's a belter. He's got he's got a lot of meat to push behind the, the, those vocals. Moves a, moves a lot of air. Okay. I know him uh, from from High Fidelity. Rob in High Fidelity is a huge fan of Solomon Burke. Talks about him a lot. And, oh, uh, he makes movie. that uh, in the movie, not in the book, but in the movie, he makes the derogatory comment about all the people who come into the store looking for the original pressing, not reissue Solomon Burke records, and. I hate to say that I have an original pressing, not really a solid <laughs> version of Rock and Soul. I think he lovingly acknowledges that those are his customers for his record shop. Yes, but he also has that self-loathing going on where he knows that that's definitely. probably not what you should be focusing on in life. Definitely. I got mine off of Amazon or Discogs or something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll all listen all right. to that. Everybody in the audience, listen to that. And for next week, listen to us tear that apart or build it up, <laughs> depending.
not to prejudge, I think you guys will be in for a treat. Awesome. It'll be a nice palate cleanser. It'll be, it'll be the lime sherbet between your between the courses. So tired of complaining all the time. Yeah, me too. Me too. I've I've really started to wonder like would you write a book called 1001 albums to hear before you must hear before you die? Like 1001 is really a lot, right? So is that just all these just make a list of 1001 albums? Yeah, we didn't talk we haven't talked about the methodology this person might have used. I don't think it was terribly uh scientific. Right. Yeah, scientific. Yeah. Looking at the list, you got like Led Zeppelin one, two, three, and four on it. Like, how are each one of those ones that you have to hear before you die? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna oh, find out. Let's We're gonna find out out. eventually. Yes. Yeah, we've got about another eight or nine years to go. Well, I think some spots are <laughs> opening up on the list. Luckily, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're definitely uh, we're definitely thinning the herd. So until next time, this has been Phil. I'm Rob. I'm Tom, and I'm Adam. And this is one thousand and one album complaints. Boosh.